You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Due to some confusing, boring legal stuff, Sin can't podcast any of the knee-slapping tracks that are played on air. To dance along with us in the studio, you'll need to listen live. Tune your radio dial to 90.7 or stream it online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Represent. I'm here today with Bridie and George and our guest today, Jack Bedecker. He is the Greens candidate for Werribee. Jack, tell us, why are you running this year for the state election? Well, it's great to be here. Um, At its core, the reason why I'm running is I've seen a bit of a disconnect I think, between what you could really consider the political class and especially young people and just ordinary people in general. Um, you know, I, I live out west in Werribee. I've, people are really concerned about cost of living and climate change. Housing affordability absolutely is a number one kind of priority for so many people. I grew up in public housing myself. That's a really passionate issue for me. And so really, that's kind of why I'm running. Great. Um, So various MPs and party reps have spoken about the state of neglect that we've seen in western suburbs, you know, Werribee, Melton, Point Cook. Dr Joe Garrow, who ran for the Werribee seat in the last election, says that these suburbs are a decade behind everyone else. Is that something that you agree with or, you know, can you explain to us your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I would definitely agree with him on that. it's all, it's kind of in the little things. Um, anecdotally, I went to the emergency room at Werribee Mercy about a month and a half ago. Um, I'd had COVID, was having some complications from that, and I was getting an echo done. And the machine there in that emergency department was just so kind of out of date. It wasn't printing. And the nurse, who I have a lot of respect for the nurses, um, but <laughs> they actually asked me, uh, when they found out that I work in IT as my day job, if I can work out why the Echo wasn't printing while it was hooked up oh, to me. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> horrible. Yeah, it's, it's kind of little things like that that really kind of just permeate, you know, the Western Suburbs experience. Yeah, and I guess keeping on with, like, the Western Suburbs in general, uh, one of your, like, key areas of topics is the social housing and just public housing in general. Could you explain, like, your policy and how it maybe differentiates from the Labor's 
point of view. So at its core, really, um, Labor's kind of really too close to property developers. Um, that's our main issue with their policy in that regard. So we really kind of want to, you know, new developments, 30% set aside for public housing and social affordable housing. You don't really solve the housing crisis by just giving money to property developers and, you know, increasing supply of private rentals. That doesn't really solve that issue. So Yeah, definitely. I think it's really an interesting topic and the more and more in, like, our contemporary landscape it's becoming more and more of a pressing issue and it's interesting to see how kind of certain parties are affiliated with certain yeah property developers like yourself maybe yeah i just wanted to kind of touch back to um the sense of neglect that brady was talking about why do you think that's so bad in the west or why do you think um things like hospital funding and that sort of stuff why do you think the west has taken such a hit so I would probably say that it's been... Because traditionally, the Western seats have been really safe Labor territory. They've usually enjoyed massive margins. And as such, you know, we don't get any kind of pork barrelling um, that, you know, other seats in, say, you know, Frankston, that kind of area, would get. Um, and it really kind of is reflected in terms of the candidates and MPs that they put up. Um, you know, my local member now, Tim Pallas, you know, lives in Williamstown. Um, I believe the new candidate for Tani is actually originally from Frankston. So they're not locals that mm. know the local issues. They're kind of just parachuted in because large margins and they can just enjoy that. I think we've seen the Liberals especially, they've kind of tried try to push a little bit in the West as well. Have, have you noticed that at all or do you think they're still pretty distant? I... I think they definitely have tried to push into the West, but it's been really, um, not immature, but it's been unrefined. They're, they're kind of trying to solve a problem by hitting it with a hammer. Um, you know, it doesn't really translate, I think, because they're also coming from that position of, you know, they're generally from, like, the eastern suburbs, and so they don't really understand the local issues either. Yeah, definitely. And... Um, just digressing a little bit to a few different issues in um, politics, especially like Greens policy on a state and, and federal level. Um, so obviously one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest ambition for Greens is like the environmentalist policies. And when we touch on um, how they want to close all coal, oil and gas projects in Australia and of course in Victoria, how economically viable is this for the grand scheme of things, seeing how dependent we are on these resources? So, really, you can talk about, you know, economic viability, but it's something that has to be done. You know, uh, there's economic viability, but there's also just humanity's survivability mm-hmm. with that. Um, we are seeing a transition to renewable energy across the world. You know, there are nations that are pioneering that. We certainly can do more, and we really need to do more to do so. Um, I was just wondering, obviously, during the pandemic, we heard a lot, especially in the western suburbs, about how the lockdowns were really disillusioning people with the Labor Party. But rather than pushing them to the Liberals, maybe that's pushing them to people like the UAP or minor parties or independents that are really actively anti-lockdown. Have you found that during your campaigning, that that's been a big issue? Uh, Maybe more around in terms of the federal election it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, These days, not so much. Almost no one really brings up the lockdowns of COVID, uh, for me, at least to me. Um, We do have, you know, there's always going to be that kind of contingent of people that are quite angry about the lockdowns, but, you know, I wouldn't say it's a massive issue. 
Yeah, and then back to kind of one of my issues. I feel like I've asked every everyone we've interviewed about public transport, mm. but <laughs> what's your policy for public transport access in the West? So we absolutely need better public transport in the West. Like that, as just as a stand, as a basic standing point, we need better public transport. Uh, I recently attended a Better Buses forum, and they put this map of all the public transport connections in the West, and it was kind of. Um, disheartening to see that they included like trams in there but there was actually no tram lines um, because we don't have those out west and we've got the bus routes that's where most of the public transport is in the west in terms of buses but a lot of the time it's just quicker to walk than it is to catch a bus because they're you know taking long winding routes they're 40 minutes sometimes between buses uh, last time I came to the city when I got back to Werribee at 9 o'clock the buses had actually completely stopped and I had to walk so that just is terrible. So we need more services and we need more reliable services to mainly in the West. Yeah, and, and just like touching on that, obviously like the the Labour Party has like a big incentive around this, uh, the suburban rail loop and airport as well. Um, I've heard like the Liberals especially have been really, you know, they've been calling out against the suburban rail loop a lot. What, what kind of stance do you take on the initiative in itself? So... Personally, I do support the suburban rail loop. Um, I'm keen to see that kind of infrastructure, you know, done being done. Um, I'm really, I really want them to get it right, though, uh, and so I do have a bit of concerns over how they're doing it at this stage. Um, it, it can't be like a kind of, you know, cost-saving measure or things like that. It needs to be properly funded, properly implemented, and yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's really interesting. I know we've talked about it a lot on the show, yeah. how, how it, like, it's got so many diverse opinions, and I think some people are calling against how the project in itself might be ineffective in the techniques it's used. But at the end of the day, I think, like, being from the West yourself, you know the, the implications of public transport and how difficult it can be in, you know, Victoria, um, considering we still don't have a train station at the airport, even though we're yeah. you know, a very major city. Um, it's really uh, interesting to see. Um. Obviously, we've seen the suburban rail loop emerge as one of the real kind of points of difference in this election. I feel like it's been one of the biggest points of contention between, especially between the major parties. But are there any other issues that you think, you know, are maybe bigger or more important to the people rather than to the parties? It will really cost of living. Um, everyone's kind of feeling the pinch. Um, every time you go to the shop, everything seems more expensive. Um, and there's kind of not much, in my view being said about that at this stage, which is kind of disappointing to see from the major parties. And so what are your policies to, or ideas to, you know, <laughs> try and alleviate that? <laughs> so, well, I'm, I might have to take that one on notice, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure I could do that with my economics exam this morning. <laughs> that may not be productive. Yeah, obviously it will impact everyone here, especially yeah. all those, like young people as well. It's, um, it's really interesting concept that we'll have to face in the future as well. So I guess maybe in summary, um, if you could pinpoint what you think the biggest issue in Werribee is at the moment and what so, uh, and like what do you think the Greens are really offering? So the biggest issue in Werribee, like if you were to take a, you know, a voter in Werribee and they say, hey, what's the biggest thing that impacts you day to day? They would absolutely say the traffic. Um, you know, most of Werribee commutes into the city for work. I think it's something around 60%. Mm. Um, you know, it's a commuter city. And that, I was fortunate enough to speak with the mayor a little while ago, and he gave me the statistics on that, uh, where, you know, your average citizen in Werribee will spend about two months a year in, in their car, kind of thing. 
which is ridiculous. So not a year, maybe a lifetime. Um, but it's a significant amount of time in your vehicle. And what the Greens kind of offer Werribee is that kind of we can challenge the major parties, we can push them to do better. Um, and maybe they'll actually start to focus more on the West if that margin that they've enjoyed for so long starts to get thinner and thinner. So in a way, like, the Liberals, like, if if they do push a bit more for incentivization there, um, maybe it could, you know, overall help your, yourself, like, as, as someone who's in Werribee, like, if you get some of that sweet pork barrelling that everyone's <laughs> always after <laughs> at election time. Um, but also there's the... I know it's a little bit out of your jurisdiction, but there's a few incentives that have been proposed by the Liberals. Like, I think there's a soccer stadium um, being built in Wyndham, I think, and uh, new hospitals. Um, yeah, so in terms of a new hospital, I believe the Liberals did announce a policy for the yeah. current Werribee Mercy Emergency Department. Um, but I guess this also kind of represents their inability in terms of campaigning in the West is... That is having very little cut through into the West. We're not hearing it very much. Um, it almost seems like they're just kind of plucking figures from the air and hoping that something sticks to the wall. Do you feel like, because I feel like we hear, I don't know if this is just because we are obviously all into politics or if it's just being in the city, but I feel like we do hear about, you know, as you said, like these incentives. Do you think that we're just hearing about them so that we can be like, oh, this party's doing something nice for like this suburb that I don't live in, that's great kind of thing. And but and then you think that message isn't actually getting across? I, I think, especially in the West, disengagement from politics is a massive issue. Um, you know, I can, I can talk with people at work about it, you know, to the, you know, to the cows come home, uh, but the second I start talking about actual policies, it's kind of like switched off. Mm. Um, and so they're really, they haven't, in terms of the Liberals, they really haven't managed to properly connect with people and that's really kind of where you have to start. You need to listen to their concerns, not just kind of throw X amount of figures at them and kind of hope that they go, oh yeah, great, thanks, I'll give you a vote. Um, yeah, really just listening. But how do you like drive that engagement up in politics? Obviously, like a lot of people kind of set in their ways <laughs> and I guess there's not a lot of room to, to get people like going for a campaign yourself, trying to get those those votes that may not have been there before. How, how do you actually incentivize that if it's not through announcing policies like the Liberals are doing? So it's really, and this is a kind of crucial for my campaign, and where it's really kind of voter contact. You've got to meet people. You've got to talk to them. You have to listen. Uh, a shiny Facebook ad or a shiny billboard on the highway, they just filter it out. You really need to connect with them there. So it's, in terms of campaigning infrastructure, it's a lot a higher barrier, but it really is that voter contact. All right. Thank you for joining us on the show, Jack. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You are back on Represent on Sin. And joining us today, we have another very special guest. Today we have Liz Walsh, uh, the Victorian Socialist candidate for the Western Metro region in the Legislative Council. How are you today? Really well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I guess if we want to start things off, tell us a little bit about yourself because obviously um, Independent Party, it's mm -hmm. a big deal in the, in the Legislative Council especially. So tell us a bit about your policies and maybe outline yourself in general. Uh, well, I've been involved in social movement activism for 25 years, so I actually was involved in student walkouts against Pauline Hanson uh, the first time she came onto the national political stage and her anti-Asian racism in particular, her hostility to Aboriginal people. There were wonderful thousands of high school students walking out of school to protest her. So I've been active since then and um, passionate about 
collective action because I think that's how uh, social change is won. So I'm running, though, for Parliament, which, you know, for a lot of socialists, it can seem like an anathema. We don't, we don't think that change happens from above, from just, you know, having people in, in, in Parliament. But for us, it's about using that as a platform to rally people, to, to talk about the crimes of the government, to give people a sense that it's, um, yeah, by standing together, we can, we can see change. So I'm hoping to get elected to use that platform to uh, rage against the powers that be and, and fight for change. And I, I guess, like, I was going to ask you this a bit later, but your, your strikeout um, w- about Pauline Hanson in itself, that was kind of like, I guess, a pivotal moment for your political career, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit, a bit more about that and, like, how did it maybe change your policies or how it set yourself as a yeah. politician? Well, I was in year 10 at the time and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was the first time that we'd heard politicians be um, just... Uh, directly and openly racist so always there'd been dog whistle politics but you know more guarded and now all of a sudden uh, we had the her maiden speech be uh, you know a direct attack on minorities and um yeah there was rage across the country about it uh, not from the murdoch press they defended pauline hansen and published her maiden speech in full uh, we had also john howard at the time the prime minister um celebrating essentially her racism saying it's all about free speech and so as students were like we're going to have our free speech and get out on the streets um and i remember a rage against the machine song actually blaring (laughs) at my first (laughs) protest and never feeling so empowered and um which song was it was the fu yeah um, i won't do what you tell me yeah Um, yeah (laughs) It was wonderful. It so, kind of personifies, I feel like, yeah. the Victorian socialism. Really defiant, and yeah. Um, so that, and probably the campaign against the Jabaluka uranium mine, uh, also a year later, and um, we had a win. We stopped uh, that um, Rio Tinto from continuing the the uranium mine. That that mass action, the direct action up at the mine site in Kakadu National Park. Um, yeah, forced the kind of end of that um, project. And I was like, wow, <laughs> we yeah. can win. So that's probably what had the biggest impact on me, I think. Yeah, definitely. So you, you sound very passionate, um, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, and how, how are you going to bring those kind of, you know, these ideals and these values that you hold into policies and into Australian politics? Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you <laughs> want? <laughs> what do I want? Well, uh, yeah, well, we think... Uh, society in Victoria is incredibly unequal and um, so a big part of what we fight for is increasing the taxation on the rich and the wealthy and corporations. Uh, We think they've had it too good for too long uh, while working class people are really struggling right now. So uh, we want to use the platform in Parliament to fight for wage rises as well. You know, um, everything's going up, cost of living, rent, uh, you name it, but what's not going up is our wages and the state government's actually a major employer. So they employ nurses, they employ teachers, and they're imposing a like 1.5, 1.7% pay cap. And if you've got 7% inflation, that's a major pay cut. For people who we talk about as being heroes, who you know, have cared for people during the pandemic, have experienced incredibly stressful work conditions, and our government is rewarding them with um, cuts to their living conditions. So uh, we want to get into parliament to fight against that and to support... Um, you know, workers' unions, nurses' unions, teachers' unions, um, who uh, you know should be taking action against that, going on strike. We want to have um, a platform to champion that kind of resistance. 
Yeah, so Liz, part of kind of your big campaign in the West um, as a activist and as a socialist, um, you were part of organising a lot of, you know, protests and campaigns against the toxic waste that's in the West. Did you kind of want to paint us a picture of what that looks like and kind of what, you know, Victorian socialists have um, done in solidarity with the um, residents in the West? Yeah, all across the West, uh, there's an enormous amount of pollution. Uh, so there's, yeah, toxic waste, lots of landfill. Um, and also we have some of the worst air quality in the country. So the inner West in particular, lots of trucks on the road, given it's close to the port. Um, and it means that people go to hospital, uh, at a higher rate for asthma, for heart disease. Uh, and one of the most, uh, striking issues lately has been the, three-year fire at a uh, landfill site um, that has construction materials. It's been on fire, underground fire, for for three years. So local residents have had um, smoke, but also just terrible odour, smelling like rotten carcasses uh, for three years. And there's been um, this company that runs it, the Barrow Group. They're uh, owned by one of the richest families in the country. Uh, Until recently, they'd only had an $8,000 fine for, um, for basically not meeting any of the Environmental Protection Authority's um, demands to, to get that fire out. Uh, so we organised a community rally uh, to say that, you know, the West isn't just a dumping ground, that we have a right to clean air, we have a right to clean waterways, um, and, uh, yeah, to sort of back the residents' groups that have been pushing about this, getting quite a lot of press but haven't had a lot of protests. So we, yeah, we helped organise that, and I think you know, can can give people a sense that they're not alone, that they've got organisations that will back them. Yeah, and just, like, digressing our attention a little bit, I know, like, we've had, like, unrepresent in itself, we've had, like, the whole political discourse of parties, but we've never had someone from, like, the Victorian Socialist or Socialist Alliance party. And I guess in Australia, especially since, like, the Cold War, socialism is seen as a big bad word mm-hmm. and kind of a cursed word for some political parties. Um, but you have it in your name, Victorian Socialist. So how much do you think that sets you back as a party, um, I guess, the stigmatisation of that in Australia? Or do, do you think it helps? Um, well, it's honest to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's what we are. We're socialists. We're opposed to a system that prioritises profits before people's lives, before the environment. Uh, we're for fighting for a society where there's genuine democracy, where working class people, ordinary people have real control over their lives. So we're socialists. Um, and in terms of whether our politics have any resonance with people, for me, the main um, barrier for us is not some stigma around socialism. It's that we're a small party. It's that we don't have the deep pockets of Clive Palmer and the UAP being able to get up into everyone's YouTube feed and having, you know, annoying ads and so on. We rely on the work of our activists and volunteers to get the word out. And every time we're on the doors talking to people, uh, we find quite a lot of resonance for our arguments. Um, our hostility to the billionaires, uh, our desire to fight for uh, better living conditions for all people, uh, our hostility to racism, our desire to fight against bigots, against transphobes and sexists. Um, yeah, people like that. Uh, it's just that we've got to get the word out. Um, and for young people in particular, given this is a student radio um, program, uh, the word socialism isn't actually a dirty word anymore. Um, and you'll find most young people have a sense that capitalism is a shit system and it, that it doesn't deliver for, for ordinary people uh, and people are open to socialism. So, yeah, a lot of opinion polls recently have shown a leftward shift amongst young people. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty confident that we'll get 
quite a lot of votes of, of young people come state election. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess just moving forward, like the influence, especially in the Legislative Council, is like it's a lot more broader than I guess where you'd find in the representatives in general. Um, how much influence, like still being an independent party, I, I don't know how to phrase this correctly, but how much influence would you aim to garner if you were to be elected? Is there like, is there a certain goal or level of achievement that you'd like to accomplish or is it just like getting your points across in the first place? I mean, part of being in Parliament is to be a disruptor. It's not to play along with the business as usual of um, Victorian politics. Yeah, we don't want to just be part of the furniture and, uh, yeah, we, as I said, we want to rage against the powers of Rage against the machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, bring it full circle for me. So, yeah, on the other hand, we do want to fight for concrete things like it's an outrage that the Victorian government hasn't increased the age of criminal responsibility, that children as young as 10 can be locked up overwhelmingly indigenous people you know so we will be backing campaigns to lift the age of responsibility um you know we don't think that there should be the um uh, public drunkenness law that um has led to deaths of indigenous people being uh, arrested by police so you know again total cowardice on the part of the labor government the fact they haven't actually legislated to remove that offense from the criminal um yeah criminal policy so uh, for, for me, there's lots to fight for. Uh, for young people as well, a lot of us are renters. We're fighting for rent freezes, uh, rent caps. Uh, we think, you know, this is not some pie-in-the-sky thing. In Scotland, they just recently legislated for rent freezes as a response to the cost of living crisis. These are concrete things that we need to fight for in Parliament. Around women's rights, we're for, uh, you know, trying to remove all of the barriers that women uh, and pregnant people face in accessing abortion. You know, there's not enough clinics for, for people across uh, this state. People have to pay hundreds of dollars to get an abortion. Um, so, you know, there's lots of concrete things to fight for as well that, you know, we can not so much talk about, you know, backroom deals with, with parties, but we want to use it as a campaigning platform to rally people in the streets to, you know, get press, to shine a spotlight on these important issues. Um. Is there is there like other independent candidates or smaller parties that you would ally with or that have um, policies that you would want to um, like team up and you know bring those sort of things up to Parliament? Yeah, we have. Um, there's a lot of I guess commonality between us and uh, the Greens. They're not an anti-capitalist party. We think that they can be quite moderate at times, uh, and they don't have as much of a campaigning approach to like struggle is how you, you see things change and a real identification with working class struggle in particular. But we do um, share a lot of um, you know common uh, concerns about social justice, inequality. Um, they've also been campaigning around rent freezes as well. So yeah, we would um, look to working as well with them. In fact, you know we work with whoever is prepared to stand on the side of what's right and just. Um, yeah, we do in campaigns right now. I can imagine uh, there would be you know moments in Parliament where you do that. Um, but yeah, I mean. As I said, it's not really for us just about, like, how can we do these deals with, you know, this or that party. It's going to be more as a platform to campaign publicly. Yeah, OK. So you're not... Because I'm more so... Yeah, I know that obviously you don't just want to get things, you know, mm. dirty deals kind of thing. Yeah. But more like to get things done. Mm-hmm. To, you need, like, you need to have people on your side. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there there are other, you know, politicians that support such moderate demands as raising the criminal age to 14, you know, like, of, of at criminal age of responsibility to 14. You know, that's, there's quite a number of other um, parties that do 
that care about that as well. We'd work with them. So it seems as though, like, Victorian Socialist is really focused on bringing light to to struggle that happens on the streets. Like, we know that you led an abortion rights rally that had 15,000 people, you know, join and march in solidarity. And we also know that you, um, as part of Victorian Socialist, led a counter-rally against, um, you know, what you were talking about before, standing up against bigots, standing up against um, anyone who, you know, wants to thrash any real good human rights policies that have been fought for um, historically. So you actually had a counter uh, protest uh, against uh, the abortion, the pro, pro-life pro mm-hmm. um, Bernie Finn. Um, what was it called? It was the March for the Babies, I That's believe. Right. Um, and I guess what kind of, you know, why was that your immediate, you know, reaction to um, a, a right-wing, you know, bigot walking the streets um, about to protest into parliament? Yeah, well, Bernie Finn is a real piece of work. He's um, currently uh, a member of parliament for the Western Metro region. Uh, he's someone that I'm trying to knock off with the, this election. Uh, we want to see the back of Bernie Finn. We think it's a total uh, embarrassment and disgrace that he thinks he can um, represent the West. The West is progressive. It's not um, reactionary like he is. Uh, so, yeah, every year Bernie Finn organises a... Uh, a rally to try and recriminalise abortion in Victoria. So he uses his platform as an MP uh, to, to do that, and he's done that ever since abortion was decriminalised in 2008. Um, and we've been organising counter-protests against him since then. And um, it's particularly important this year because of the overturning of Roe v Wade and uh, the fact that in the US, you know, the most powerful country in the world, one that has a lot of cultural impact on Australia, has, has taken away the right to abortion for millions of women and pregnant people. So uh, we know that the far right um, and religious bigots can be emboldened by actions um, overseas. So we want to make sure that they you know, can't build their movement and that we defend our hard-fought for rights. But also we have to go further because, as I said, there's all sorts of barriers to people being able to access abortion in Victoria, even though it's legal. So we want to make sure it doesn't get... De- you know, recriminalise, but we also have to fight for genuinely free, universally accessible abortion. And that's something that, you know, we'll be continuing to do in Parliament too if we get the chance. Yeah, no worries. Um, obviously, there's a lot of mitigative actions that have to be done in the future. And it's interesting to see how, of course, all the political parties kind of vary their opinions on certain things. So it's really interesting to see. But we'll leave you there for now. We really appreciate your time on the show on Represent um, and all the best for your upcoming election and everything that comes after that. Great. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. You are back on Represent after a bit of a chaotic first 50 minutes, but you're back now with the actual trio of Friday, the OGs, had <laughs> a few ins and outs, but yeah, it's good to be back in Friday. I think you had a segment prepared for I us. I do have a quick segment for us. So we're going to be chatting about Cassius Turvey. So he was a 15-year-old Noongar boy from Perth, um, and he was actually murdered um, on his way home from school at the end of October and then died in hospital. So this is really devastating news. I mean, he was 15. He was on his way home from school. Like, he was in the right place. He was in the right time. He wasn't doing anything wrong. And, you know, obviously there hasn't been a trial yet, so we can't say too much about, like, motivation or anything. But it is really, you know, heartbreaking. And so he's it sparked outrage across the country obvious for obvious reasons. Um, so there were vigils held all over the country, including in Melbourne on Wednesday night. 
um, which was at, um, out in Thornbury. And so there were speeches from heaps and heaps of politicians from his mother um, in Perth, um, from Anthony Albanese, who said his life was over all too soon. I think this is just such a human tragedy. And for Cassius's mum, for people who knew this young man, you look at his smile and you think that a life that should have just been beginning and it was over all too soon. So it's really, really devastating news. And I was wondering what you guys thought. Is this going to make action? Obviously, we've had the Deaths in Custody Royal Commission and that happened ages ago and there are still deaths in custody. Is there anything, you know, concrete that they can do about this? Um, I think this will... I was just having this thought in my head and you guys can obviously tell me if this isn't the case, but I feel like because it happened in Perth Mm -hmm. and I don't know how many Indigenous senators or politicians there are there, but I kind of feel like if it happened in Melbourne that... There'd be the same amount of outrage but maybe more political action because you'd have MPs from where it happened being able to, like, come into, like, the, like, um, like the, the, the state parliament or something. Do you know what I mean? Like... What do you mean, like, how we have, like, Lydia Thorpe? Like, if we... Yeah, like, how we have Lydia Thorpe. Like, there's, like, someone in parliament who can actually come in and, like... If this happened in Melbourne, I would imagine Lydia Thorpe would come in the next day and be like, this is outrageous. Whereas I'm wondering whether in Perth, like, that same kind of action that can happen there, like, straight away. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yes, I think so. So, yeah, I think definitely that's interesting. I mean, there are, there's, like, Pat Dodson, who's a senator. Um, I'm just looking through the list of MPs in WA. Like, obviously there is a pretty decent population of mm. Indigenous mm. in, in there. So you'd think that if you're going to represent the needs of the people, um, you should have you know an equal amount of representatives um, put in place, which, yeah, at the end of the day could only be to the betterment of the Indigenous communities over there. So the case for quotas, you know, yeah. is stronger or <laughs> every day. Um, so maybe <laughs> this, this, you know, just incentivizes that a bit more. Yeah, Mm. definitely. And I was sort of thinking, we were just chatting about this off air, but I was sort of thinking there might be end up being like a state memorial service or something. Like I wouldn't be surprised. I agree that I think something like that will be happen. And I think this will kind of be like with the um, Black Lives Matter movement, like two years Mm. ago. I feel like this is our our start. Yeah, like I feel like this is the start. Yeah, because every other time, like there was Tanya Day who died in custody a few years ago. And, like, she is mentioned, you know, mm. still now. But, like, she was an adult. They've all been adults. And now this is a kid. Like, he was 15. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think this will be the start of an actual movement. Yeah, I, I think so, Do too. Do you think that that kind of movement would have not, I guess, like, propelled sooner? Like, like, do you think there'd be immediate action, like, in terms of protesting? Would that have already happened? Or is it, like... Like, do you mean if it hadn't happened? No, I mean, like, for this to start an entire movement, um, how big of a movement from the get-go does it have to be to propel as a right, like BLM like, kind of thing? Will, will end up being, like... Yeah, it's, I put it really poorly, it, but yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. I don't think it will be, like, the American movement purely no. because we are still, I think, as a nation, very much in the dark about how many... Definitely. Indigenous deaths there are. And I also just think, like, we're not as, like... The Like, the population and, like, the density. There's also a much larger 
population of African Americans. Like mm. I just, I just feel like a lot of it for us is still very it hidden. Feel, it can be quite distant. For, very especially distant. for people who live like in the inner city, surrounded by you know non-indigenous yeah. people. I think. I don't think it'll be as big, but I think it'll be big in comparison to like our population and our context, yeah, if that makes true. sense. Like, I don't think it'll be comparable. I think it'll be big for us, but like, obviously not in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously proportionate to yeah. the US. I think their protests over there kind of go a bit like pear shaped. Like, there were all those riots with the Black yeah. Lives Matter ones, and I don't feel like that's something it's that's. It's more of an anarchistic kind of. Yeah, I think protests here tend to be very much organised and mm. led by mm. people. Yeah, and I like rather so than these Black Lives Matter ones that happened in um, in America, they seemed very sort of just everyone kind of turned mm. up. It wasn't you know lead. No one was really leading. I feel like there's so many more people who are angry though, and Definitely. I'm sure the indigenous population is angry. But like we don't hear about it the same. Th- like it's like yeah. just the same thing. Like I feel like the anarchy and like the anger is like because everyone is feeling that way and it's like spreading whereas I don't think it has the same spread yeah yeah I think we just due to time constraints we might have to wrap this up a little bit but we do still have enough time for my weekly segment (laughs) of the quote of the week again so before we wrap up with the very minimal time we have left um this one's a, another bit of an older quote. For those who aren't aware of what we're doing right now, is we're guessing who said the quote, what party it was, um, and yeah, so <laughs> we've gone pretty pear-shaped, I think, recently. I don't think there's been many correct <laughs> yeah. guesses of who's who oh, said these quotes. you got a few at the start, but I think week. we've gone down a hill a little bit. Um, but okay, so this was a quote, again, from a little while back. I will tell you it was a federal federal politician, okay. and it started by saying, if they don't know how to use our toilets, then what the hell is going on? And then after that, this person said, it's not just a matter of dollars, Wade. It starts with toilets and ends with costing us our Australian way of life. Okay, so it's going to be xenophobic. Yeah, something. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a xenophobic person. Well, it won't be Pauline um, Hanson, because it wasn't last week. No, I reckon it's going to be someone... What was last week? Pauline Hanson was not last week. Oh, who was last week? Bob Catter. Someone no. else. Someone <laughs> of the like. I reckon Can't it's going to be like, you know, early 2000s. Uh-huh. Or like Chinese maybe early mi- 2010s. Yeah, yeah, Chinese like migration, universities toilets. and stuff. Mm. Lots of students. Is that around that time? Yeah. <laughs> I'm painting a picture. I am. I'm in um, the picture. I'm in the zone. But who? Um, if for some reason it's giving... Oh, wait, can you tell us... Uh, can you tell us whether it's like a country person or a city? Like, <laughs> is it regional or metropolitan? Do you think it's someone... Because Pauline Hanson was in in the 90s and she went out and she came back in. So it might be her. But you but can't do someone twice. That's just Have me. we done... Have we had one that was Pauline Hanson? I can't remember. Oh, wait. We haven't had a Pauline Hanson. I think we think we have every week and we actually oh. haven't. But it might be like Malcolm Roberts, who was also One Nation. But he was For some like reason, it's giving like, someone in like Sydney. I don't know why. I'm just really? getting Sydney energy. <laughs> got to give I, me an answer. I kind of don't... Almost don't know if okay, we've got to give an answer. I almost don't know if like in Queensland there's as much it's like there's as much of a um like my great like in, um immigration so co- kind of thing. It's more like culturally homogenous, like yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. giving a capital city like Yeah, I kinda of see what you But mean. that kind of leads on to like a lot of people 
I don't know if we're going so off topic right now, and this is completely my fault, but, like, a lot of people say that there tend to be more racist views in, like, Europe compared to America because Europe is so culturally homogenous, whereas America is used to diversity. So, oh, I get what you mean, yeah. Like, yeah. in Queensland, not, you know, not that I'm accusing the state of this or anything, <laughs> but, you know, maybe that could be a reason why yeah, potentially yeah. there yeah. could yeah. be a person from I agree. Okay, well, it's obviously Pauline Hanson, then. I think it's Pauline Hanson. <laughs> 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 Good job. We're back on the... Back on the roll. Yeah, well, exactly. it has been another week of Represent, and we've loved knowing that you've been listening to us. I don't think that... <laughs> I'm never going to say that loved again. Loved having you listen to us. Loved your company today, oh. and both of your company, and all the guests we had today on the show. It was a big so day of guests. It was a lot of guests and very busy in the studio. So, yeah. glad to have another week. Coming up soon, we will be having our state election coverage, so stay tuned for that. And as always, remember to stay political. You're listening to Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast where young people run the show.